Last week we started uh, talking about Moses and we said that there are four questions that Moses um, had to answer if he wanted to be a man who lived his life with no regrets. And I just realized that one of the cardinal sins is don't ever come on stage with gum. I got gum in my mouth, so there's no proper way to spit it out. So I just did. Okay, so last week we talked about Moses and we said that God is over here and God has this plan. We're just going to put plan down for expedience sake. And God's plan is to seek and to save lost people. Now, we said that God creates human beings and he gives us um, the opportunity to choose him or not choose him. And so we're going to put Moses down here. Now, I don't know if Moses really looked like this or not, but I saw the Ten Commandments, you know, way back in the day when uh, Charlton Heston was Moses and he had long flowing hair. And he had a beard. I don't know if he had a mustache or not. That's supposed to be a mustache. But this is my Moses. All right. Now, what happened is God, God gave Moses some choices. Because what we said is you cannot stay where you are and go with God at the same time. So the first question that Moses had to answer was, whose am I? Did you put that verse up there, Daniel? Pharaoh, this is, this is Hebrews uh, chapter 11, it says, Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, throw all the newborn Israelite boys into the Nile River, but you may spare the baby girls. Actually, we need to go on down from that. Go way on down to Hebrews 11.24. You have to forgive us. We just got a new computer, and we haven't gotten everything transferred over, and so we're, we're uh, about another week of trying to get all this back together. You see Hebrews 11.24? We'll just move on. Hebrews 11.24 says, It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be treated as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Okay, so Moses had this choice, and his first choice was, am I going to be somebody I'm not? I'm not the son of Pharaoh's daughter. She adopted me, but that's not who I really am. I'm a Jew, and he refused to be identified. So the first thing he had to do is he had to decide, am I going to follow God's plan and do what God created me for, or am I going to do my own thing? That's the first thing. So we see him refusing to be a person that he's not. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. The second question is, whom will I blame? We said that, that what happened in Moses' life is he had, uh, he had to choose whether he was going to blame everybody else for the choices that he made or he was going to accept responsibility for his own actions. And we said we face those same types of choices. Most of the time what happens is we make bad choices, we ruin our lives, because no one else can ruin our life except us, but then we spend the rest of our lives blaming other people for the bad choices that we made. That makes no sense. Hebrews 11.25 says, He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, when did he make these choices? In verse 24, we see Moses refusing. In verse 25, we see Moses choosing. He refused to be identified as someone he wasn't. But in verse 25, we see him choosing to get on God's path and choosing to accept responsibility for his own life. The mark of immaturity is blaming other people for my problems. The mark of maturity is when I choose to accept responsibility for my life. I quit blaming my parents for all of my problems. I quit blaming that, that person that I dated 25 years ago. Yeah, it's been that long since I was in high school. I quit blaming those people for stupid choices that I made. I accept responsibility for where I am, and I choose whether I'm going to go with God or not. You answer those first two questions before you're ready for the third question, which we're going to look at today. Now, after those questions, you move on to question three. And question three is, what is most important to you? This is on your listening guide. What is most important to you? This would be your value system. 
Hebrews 11.26 says, He, talking about Moses, regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now, what this says is that Moses decided that God's plan, getting up here on God's plan, was more important than money. So he's choosing God's kingdom over Pharaoh's blingdom. Yeah. You know it's a bad joke when I have to wait that long for a response. <laughs> so here's the question that you, you and I have got to answer. All the questions that Moses faced, you and I face. What is most important to you? And let me interject here. Many times what we say is important to us isn't important to us. We say, oh, church is important to me. Are you a member of one? Do you regularly, regularly attend one? Do you contribute financially? To, oh, don't get upset. I'm just asking. <laughs> you don't really... It's not what you say you believe. It's not what you think you believe. What your values are or what you do in life. And so don't tell me that, that your marriage is important to you if you never spend time with your wife or your, your, your spouse. Don't tell me that the things of God are important to you if you don't know the things of God. Don't tell me your children are important to you. If I were to go to your children, they say, I don't even know my parents. What you do reflects your values in life. And Moses had to choose some values. And here's the big deal. Have you ever noticed that if you don't decide what you're going to do with your life, other people will decide for you? You don't decide what you're going to do with your time. Other people will be glad to tell you what to do with your time. If you don't decide what to do with your money, there are people lined up out there to tell you what to do with your money. You have to determine what's important in life, and those are your values. So you ask this question, what is really important to me? What is most important in my life? If you turn on the TV today, some of you are going to go home and watch the playoffs. I just don't give a rip anymore. Um, Dallas didn't make the playoffs. Dallas stunk. I probably wouldn't watch it if Dallas was in the playoffs because I would be so disappointed. Anyway, I'll get off of that soapbox. Uh, but some of you are going to go home and watch the playoffs. Some of you are going to watch other things. I don't care what you watch today. You're going to see three things promoted. You know what those are? Power, beer. <laughs> well, that's just one of the things, okay? That's not actually... Yes, they'll promote beer, but what are they promoting? Pleasure. Power, pleasure, and possessions. Every commercial is going to have something to do with that. If you watch some sitcom, if you watch a soap opera, you watch anything on TV today or in this next week, you're going to see that the world is striving for those things. Uh, wash me, drive me, buy me, put me in your hair, and it, it will make your life so much better. Right? The interesting thing is all of those things, power, possessions, and uh, prestige. No, power, possessions. Pleasure. Thank you. Those things that the world is so desperately seeking, Moses had all those. That was wrapped up in the idea of the Egyptian pharaoh, the Egyptian king. Moses had all those and he walked away from it. And what kind of dork would walk away from power and pleasure and possessions? Someone who has a different value system. And you see, Moses made some incredible decisions. And, and we're going to look at these three decisions because if he had not made these decisions, we wouldn't even be talking about it. We, Moses who? He'd be some mummy in King Tut's pyramid. King Tut. Nobody's talking about how you should live your life like King Tut, right? We just had the whole King Tut exhibit come through and, you know, it'd be great. And Big deal. 
But the reason we're talking about Moses is because he decided some things and it impacted not only his life, but ours. We're talking about him 4,000 years later. I want to be the type of man that when I live my life, I live in such a way that when I die, you know, the, the only, the only thing you remember about me is not the dash on my, on my gravestone. I want to live a life that I leave something behind. And maybe if God doesn't come in the next 2,000 years, that maybe somebody, whether it's my descendant or some, somebody will say, you know, there was a dude way back when. He gave everything up so that he could follow God. That's the type of man I want to be. And I really think, I really think that every man here would love to leave a legacy behind. And I'm just going to tell you, it's not going to come from your bank account. It's not going to come from your business. Look at the business world right now. How many businesses are failing? Goody's clothing line is going out of business. Family business for 50 some odd years. They started their liquidation because it's not going to last. I want to invest my life in something that lasts. And I guarantee you, every man here does. I think every woman does too. Well, let's look at these decisions. Moses decided that God's plan is more valuable than popularity. God's plan is more inva- more valuable than popularity. Back to Hebrews 11:24. It was by faith that Moses when he grew up and we're just going to keep coming back to that. A sign of maturity is when you choose to do things that last. You choose your values instead of letting someone else tell you what your values should be. When he grew up, he refused to be treated as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Do you think that might have been kind of a prestigious thing to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter? I mean, you think it's a big deal for for Barack Obama's daughters to say, my daddy's Barack Obama. That's a big deal. I'm not getting into politics. That's a big deal. That's nothing compared to being the king. We're not building pyramids to our presidents. It was a big deal to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was in line to be the king. My granddaddy is the king. That'd be pretty cool. But he refused it. He turned his back on it. People would bow before him, but Moses knew that this stuff didn't last. This whole popularity thing doesn't last. And one thing that I like about Moses is he wasn't full of himself. In fact, after God gets through with him, there's a description in the Bible that says Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. That's the type of man God uses, not the one who's full of himself. So the second decision now, first one is plan. God's plan is more valuable than popularity. The second decision is people are more valuable than pleasures. Back to verse 25. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. Now, you got to understand the people of God at this point, they're building pyramids. They're slaves. So Moses turns his back. He refuses to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he chooses to be identified with slave labor rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. In order to do the right thing, he had to choose discomfort over comfort. Why would he do that? Because he knew that pleasure, just like the popularity thing, is fleeting. Now, the Bible is very realistic, and it says that that the pleasures of sin last how long? A season. In this translation, it says a short time. Um, How many of you, if sin were painful, would do it? Now, just, just chew on that a minute. Several years ago, when Janie and I first got married, we lived in a duplex in Arlington, Texas, and it was like in the hood. And uh, uh, we needed all kinds of, of firearms. You know, we didn't have them, so God just protected us. But um, we had this little fenced-in yard that, I'm, I'm serious, was not even as big as this stage. 
And uh, my dog's name was Bubba. And and anything you associate with that term, Bubba, that, that applied to my dog. Dumbest dog I've ever had. Uh, and Bubba didn't like being... Con- Bubba was a big dog. He was a German Shepherd-Labrador mix. Um, two purebreds got out and had at it, and here comes Bubba. And so I get Bubba. And I put Bubba back in this... Before this, I'd lived at a house in, in Austin before Janie and I got married. And so we had a big backyard, and that's why I got a dog. And he was he was cool. And Janie never liked Bubba because I think it's because he predated Janie. You know, I had him around, and, and I think she killed him. But um, she won't admit to that to this day. So anyway, Bubba... Bubba was this dork of a dog, and he dug all over. I mean, you would think that there were landmines had gone off in my backyard. And Bubba, I had a I had a wooden fence around this duplex, you know, about this big. Bubba would dig underneath the fence, and he would run off all over the place. And I wouldn't chase him because I'm like, this dog is too stupid. If you're going to get out, just go on. He would end up within a day or so sitting on my front porch. I don't know, because you had to go all the way up. It was like half a mile to the end of the duplexes, and all of the fences were solid to there. I don't know how the sucker got up and back around. But I decided, you know, because people were giving me a hard time about my idiot dog getting out and tearing up their yard, so I thought, I'll put up an electric fence. And so I'd never jacked with an electric fence before, but but they work. Um, I put it around my yard so that he wouldn't get close to it. And uh, PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, will so give me a hard time for this. Because, you know, I put this up because I wanted him to quit digging, quit getting out. You know, he was, I, I still liked him, but even though he was a dork. And so I got it up and I plug it in. I followed all the instructions. I plug it in. And I'm like, how do you know if it works? <laughs> so I take my dog, my 80-pound dog, and I push him into it. <laughs> and uh, he doesn't do anything. And I'm like, okay, so I unplug it. I plug it back in. And I push him into it again. He doesn't, I, I figured he's going to, you know, something. Well, the phone rings. So I go in the house and, and, you know, being a minister, sometimes you're on the phone a long time. So I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking. Janie's gone. She's teaching at school. And so I'm talking and, and I go out the front door and I do something. I get the mail and do several things. I forget what I had been doing previously. And so I had to go back to my storage room, which was back in my little bitty backyard. So I just come walking around. I open up the deal and, and, uh, I go walking into the electric fence. I have shorts on. It works. I can't demonstrate it here because I'll hurt me in, in the front row. But when I hit it with both shins, <laughs> I jump up in the air. Bubba's right here. He's freaking because I'm coming at him. Ah! And I'm screaming. He runs over. He wets all over himself in the yard and, now, here's my point. Never again did I run into that electric fence. Once was enough. Bubba didn't get out of the yard anymore either because evidently the electric fence worked. Now, if, if sin were like that, who of us would do it? <laughs> I mean, we may be curious about an electric fence. I've seen a lot of people try it, man. See, I've been there, so I'm like, I wonder if it works. I don't know. You try it. You stand close enough, I'll push you into it. We'll find out if that electric fence works. But nobody I know goes repeatedly and grabs the electric fence just because they like it. Well, sin is fun, the Bible says, for a short time. If sin sucked, nobody would do it. 
But it's fun for a short time. The consequences of sin are not fun. And that's what you never see in our soap operas. You never see that. You never see the consequences of sin that last a lifetime and sometimes last several lifetimes. My buddies and I, Justin and Drew, we, we meet together once a week. We're reading a book and we're, it's talking about fathers. We're in this chapter on fathers and, and what happens when the father's not there. And that's why it's so relevant that, that Justin shared with you about his daughters. I told him before I even knew that story, I told him, I said, dude, I can see a difference in your daughters. Janie had both the twins in her class and he said, you could, she said, you could tell the week that Justin came back into that relationship with Jenny because the girls were totally different. And when he would come, and I don't know what it is about dads, he would come to the door, their eyes would light up, they'd come, Daddy! And run into him. It makes a difference when, when a man is a man. And you have to turn your back on some of the, the things of sin if you're going to do that. You have to choose. Sin, sure, it's fun. But there's going to be a point when we're going to have to refuse those things if we're grown-ups. I don't want to grow up. Well, then be an idiot. And lose your family. Lose your credibility. We'll get off of that. So here's, here's the cool thing about this whole deal. When you look at verse 24, you see that, that Moses rejected the world's measure. The measure of a man according to the world is, is your bank account. And, and then in verse 25, you see that he's rejecting the world's pleasure. And then in verse 26, you see he's rejecting the world's treasure. He's saying those things don't last. I want to invest my life in something that does. And the very things that people spend their lives trying to get, Moses rejects because he had a third value. And that's that God's peace is more valuable than possessions. God's peace is more valuable than possessions. Just like sin is fun for a time, possessions are fun for a time. You can buy happiness for a short time. I bought my yellow boat that's sitting next to my driveway rotting. I bought it 10 years ago for 750 bucks. Janie's like, you want it? Buy it. Cause I was, I was so into fishing back then that I wanted my own fishing boat. You know, I got the trolling motor and I did a few things and, and I fixed it up. And, and just after a few repairs, man, that $750 boat, I took it out and we went intertubing with teenagers from my previous church. Eight hours, man. We were rocking on the, the lake, having a great time. In that boat, I've watched Fourth of July fireworks. Incredible. Sitting out in the boat with my family. In that boat, we go to picnics. You know that island across from where we used to go to the Lake Day at Fabian and Monica's or if you go to uh, Beacons Point, that little island. We call that Washburn's Island because we would drive out there on the boat and we would have picnics. We took my parents out there. <laughs> Don't take 80-something-year-old people that can't walk out to an island. That's a bad idea. My dad and I were in positions that I have to go to counseling for um, because I had to help him. I'm just kidding. Um, but it was difficult to get my dad off the boat. And, and I've, I've been on dates with Janie. I've been fishing. I've been on boat rides. That boat gave me happiness for about three years. For the past seven years, I just hadn't wanted to spend the money to fix it up. So I want you to think about that gadget, that those must-have-em gadgets that you just couldn't wait to get for Christmas. They're great. You open them up. Woo-hoo! They bring happiness for about three weeks. Where are they now? Things you just opened this last Christmas. Have they gotten to the shelf yet? Are they in the attic yet? If not, they will be because think about last Christmas. Where are those things? I don't even know what I got last Christmas. Right? They'll bring happiness for a time. But, uh, it won't last. And that's what, that's what, uh, Moses figured out. And see, 
you know, I, I realize that, that I've got to sell my boat. I actually have two boats. I'm, I'm stupid enough to have two boats that don't run. And so I've got to try to fix these up and, and sell them because, you know, I don't want this old one. I want a new one, but I've been through FPU now, so I realize I can't go buy a new one. I need to borrow one that you've already bought that's much shinier than the one that I have. And that's the way we figure these things out. Our biggest problem is that so many of us have so much to live on, but nothing to live for. You're like, oh, wait, the economy, it's bad. Did you see the kid with a goat in the picture we talked about a while ago? Don't tell me you've got it bad. When a goat brings happiness to a young kid because he knows he's got a financial future. He can, he can get food from that, but he can also, uh, I was, I watched a story on ABC News about World Vision and, and some folks bought some goats last year. They, they gave this one family a goat. It's now six goats this year and they're able to sell off. Oh man, it just, it makes such a difference. So don't tell me that you don't have a lot to live on. If you live in America, you got, you got a roof over your head, you, you're better off than they are. You may not have a goat, but you may have a boat. You may have some toys. So a lot of us got a lot to live on. We just don't have a lot to live for. And see, what happens is we get this mixed up priorities going on. You see, we're supposed to love people and use things, but we flip that. And we use people and we love things. And then we'll start using people to get more things. And that causes all kinds of troubles in our lives. So we gotta make some decisions. Now how could, how could Moses do this? How could he turn his back on that? Cause honestly, you and I aren't turning our backs on being the king. How could he do that? Well, it's at the end of verse 26. It says, because he was looking ahead to his reward. Where was Moses looking? Ahead. The Bible says he kept on looking ahead to his reward. He was living this life, but also watching for eternity. Now, um, I want you to look at this statement. I think we have this. Right now, it's, this isn't Danielle's fault. This is my fault. So if it doesn't show up, anything that doesn't show up is my fault. So here it is. Your happiness is determined by your character. Your character is determined by your choices. Your choices are determined by your values. And your values are determined by your vision. Where are you looking? What are you looking at right now? Moses had his eyes on God, and so he had a totally different value system than the Egyptians did. Well, that brings me to the fourth key in Moses' life, the question he had to ask. Where are you looking? Number four is where are you looking? Your faith is in direct proportion to the object of your faith. If you have small faith, that means you have small vision. If you have a lot of faith, that means you've seen God recently. Part of the reason that we encourage you not to just come on Sundays is because this is one hour out of 168 you have in your week. If one hour you're focusing on God and 167 hours out of every week you're not focusing on God, how big is the God in your life? Not how big is God, because He's big enough to handle it. But your faith is small because in proportion, one hour to 167, how much time do you spend watching TV? How much time do you spend listening to trash on the radio or, or spend on the Internet? compared to the time you spend with God. We've got to somehow be feeding from God's Word every day if we're ever going to make strides in our relationship with God. And this whole value system, I love the theme for the, the summer camp. It's called Flip. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. My kids used to say that whenever um, uh, they would lose. It was like, you know, 
they would race and they desperately want to beat the other one. And if you won, it was kind of like, first shall be last. You know, it was, it was kind of a taunt. And I'm like, that's not really the way we should use God's word. You know, it's not a taunt. But you flip the, the standards when you get your eyes on God. Hebrews 11:27 says, it was by faith. And remember that faith is all about what you're looking at. It's all about your vision. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt. He was not afraid of the king. Moses kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Moses kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Who's that? God. Moses saw Jesus before Jesus had ever come to earth physically. He kept his eyes on the one that was invisible. So why should I do that if I want to have an effective life? Well, here's the deal. Because you're going to have problems. Jesus said, you are going to have tribulation. Tribulation means big time obstacles are going to come into your life. And then he says, but take heart because I've overcome those obstacles. I've overcome the world. But in order for you and I to make progress, we got to have problems in our lives. And, and this quote is attributed to Henry Ford, but I thought it was interesting. It says, obstacles are those frightful things you see when you take your eyes off of the goal. Pretty smart. Where have you been looking lately? Now, do you think Moses faced any obstacles? If you know the story, and if you don't, go read Exodus. Exodus is a great chapter. It's about Moses figuring out that he's not supposed to follow uh, the Egyptians and, and God wants him to have this plan. And Moses takes the plan into his own hands and he kills an Egyptian. And, and so then he has to run away and it costs him 80 years of his life. And out there he sees the, the burning bush and all this stuff. Moses has his life transformed because he follows after God. And uh, <laughs> do you think when, he, when God calls him and says, you're going to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, do you think he had obstacles? First of all, how are you going to convince Pharaoh who has two million Jews, free slave labor, building pyramids, how are you going to convince Pharaoh that you, you've, you've killed somebody that was one of his soldiers and, and then you ran away? And he remembers you. How are you going to convince him to let two million people, free labor, go free? And then you got two million people. How are you going to take two million people across the most desolate land on the face of the planet to get to the promised land? You got no food. You got no water. How are you going to do that? You think Moses had obstacles? Sure he did. There were huge obstacles. But he saw God and God was bigger than those obstacles. Now, here's the thing. Many of you today are here and the obstacles in your life seem huge. And I'm not discounting the obstacles. I understand. Some of you are facing foreclosure. Some of you have had, had um, cars repossessed. Some of you are struggling just to pay your bills. Those are huge obstacles. But, but if you have, if you're discouraged because the obstacles in your life are too big, I'm glad you're here today. It's not an accident. You need 2 Corinthians. Um, and that's what I'm about to share with you. Because I want you to see from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is talking about the fact that he has these massive obstacles in his life. But he doesn't even call them obstacles. He doesn't even call them problems. He says these are light and temporary, or the version that I'm going to show you is momentary, are light and momentary afflictions. He won't even call them problems or obstacles. But let me explain to you what he was calling light and momentary Paul um, was beaten almost to death three times. One time he was stoned so much they thought he was dead, they left him there. All right? Light and momentary. He was shipwrecked two different times. The second time, he was in the ocean bobbing around for 24 hours, a night and a day in the deep. That's light and momentary problems, he says. He received the 40 stripes. Now, they used to have this rod that if you were um, in opposition to the government, if you did something wrong, instead of throwing you in jail, they could give you 40 stripes with this rod, with this big long rod, 40 stripes on the back, and they would, they would, uh, count them out. 
Five times he was beaten with the rod, the 40 stripes. Light and momentary affliction. He was sick so bad that he thought he was going to die. He was in prison several times. He was without food. Times he was without clothes. Oftentimes he was left totally alone. If you read his his writings in the New Testament, he wrote 13 books of the New Testament. You read his writings, sometimes you'll say, everybody's left. Light and temporary? Light and momentary afflictions? He doesn't even call them obstacles. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. That means we don't give up. We're persistent. We endure. Though outwardly we're wasting away. (laughs) You looked in the mirror lately. Every time I read this, I'm like, dude, I know that's right, baby. I know I am wasting away. Every time I go and play football, I played football last weekend. I am just now able to walk without a limp from playing. I am wasting away. My body does not do what my mind tells it. My mind is quick. My body's slow. And it hurts. My body is wasting away. But there's good news. It says, though our bodies are wasting away, outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed. Now here's the key. If you're discouraged, it's because you're not following this next thing. It says we're renewed day by day. If you're discouraged, it means you haven't spent any time on a daily basis in God's Word. All the time I tell you that 95% of God's will... In youth ministry, I would be speaking somewhere and I would say, how many of you would love to know God's will? Every hand would shoot up, me, me, I want to know God's will. I said, how many of you have been reading this? All the hands would go down. I said, you don't really want to know God's will. Because 95% of it is in here. Finances, relationships, business dealings, it's all in here. We're being renewed when you feed from God's Word day by day. It renews you inwardly. Day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. Paul says God has a purpose for your life and and His purpose is bigger than your problems. In fact, God's purpose is so big for you that it includes your problems. He can work those problems out for His good. And if you're discouraged, it means you're looking at the wrong thing today. You don't have your eyes on God. Look what he says in verse uh, 18. So we fix our eyes, there it is, that focus. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul is saying that, that you're going to outlive these things. Um, and, and he says that the things that you can see, that the unthing, unseen things are going to outlive them. You can see this podium, right? And you say, that's real. That's real. But you don't see God. Which one's going to last longer, this podium or God? God. The principle is the unseen always outlives and outlasts the scene. Moses had a couple of problems. Spiritual crying babies who whined and complained the whole time, 40 years, griping and complaining, we don't have food, we don't have water. That's a big problem. I wouldn't want to have to deal with that. But he kept his eyes on God and he realized that all of the problems were for his benefit and for the benefit of those people that he was putting up with. They would complain, they'd say, you're not even talking to God. We don't even know if God exists. All you had to do at that time to figure out if you were supposed to move was look out the window because the Bible says that that God went in a a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you wanted to know God's will, open up the flap of your tent. If the cloud is moving, that meant pick up the tent and follow. If the cloud stayed there, then you stayed there. 
It was real easy to tell God's will. God did all kinds of things. He parted the Red Sea for these morons. And yet, the miracle wasn't enough. Because see, signs and miracles don't addict you to God. They addict you to signs and miracles. You look in the Bible. Every time signs and miracles, oh, He's a great God, He's a great God. Two days later, I'm hot. I need some water. God has left us. Problems are in our lives to produce something that lasts. And if you keep going back to the same problems, maybe maybe the problem's not God. Maybe the problem is you. And you're not learning your lessons. When Moses grew up, God gave him a goal. And he said, you're going to be the deliverer of my people. And the biggest lesson that, God, that Moses had to learn, you and I need to learn this too, is to wait. Because Moses, can you imagine waiting 80 years for your dream to come true? <laughs> can you just, Moses is out and he's watching sheep, which is the lowest job in society. He's watching sheep every day for 40 years. And I can just hear him say, Hey, God, this is Moses again. Yeah, Mo, what you need? Is it time yet? No, Mo, it's not time. But, but God, don't you know in Israel it's not getting better? I mean, in Egypt it's not getting better. The Israelites, it's getting worse. Is it time yet? No, it's not time. For 14,600 days, Moses said, is it time yet? And God said, no. You see, part of strengthening, strengthening, strengthening your faith, God makes us go through Waiting times. Because God's denials or God's delays are not God's denials. And that's what we have to learn. One of the hardest lessons for my kids to learn was not yet does not mean no. Unless you pester me. And then it's a big fat no. God's delays are not His denials. He wants to answer your prayers, but He, de- he delays so that you can be developed spiritually. And so... A big deal, a big indicator of how much faith you have is how long can you wait? And I'll be honest with you. You know, now when I look back, because there were times I would question God, I'd say, God, I know you can provide a building, but I don't know if you will. So six years since we started this church before we got this building, seems like, you know, that now. But man, I did some whining. I don't know why God didn't just zap me. God, you're powerful, but you're not listening. Have you ever prayed that? You may have thought it. You may not have prayed it. God, you're never going to answer my prayer. God is always going to answer prayers, but He's going to do it in His time to build your faith. Now, some of you have never invited Christ into your life, and and you may be saying, God, um, I don't know what's going on here today. I'm not even sure you're real. But see, you can't say, well, my wife is a Christian or my granddaddy was a Christian or my spouse is a Christian because like in marriage, you have to make the personal commitment. I'm not kind of married. I wear this ring everywhere I go except to the lake because on one of those trips, I pulled my, on my yellow boat that brought me so much happiness. I pulled my ring off and I set it there when we were at Washburn Island. Had a great time picnicking. Got back in the boat. Turned around. Gunned it. And as I gun it, I hear this ting, ting, boom. There went my wedding ring. So I don't wear this to, to the lake anymore. I'm praying that someday I'm going to catch a fish. That's actually happened. I, I read that. It's got my ring in there. Anyway, 
um, I wear this ring to remind me and everyone I meet that there's, there's another half of me. I wear this ring to honor Janie. And I made a decision back in May 25th, 1991, and I stood there at the altar and I said to Janie, I choose you. And I heard her say, I choose you. And we watch it quite often. At least once a year, we'll pull out the old video and when I had hair and we'll watch this thing. You're not kind of married. You're also not kind of a Christian. You make a choice and some of you today need to say, God, I choose you today. Some of you need to admit, I've been living my own life. I need to be myself. I need to quit driving this car or trying to strive to get this person's approval because they don't really care. And even if they did, it's a, it's a shifting target. Some of you need to choose to be yourself, be who God created you to be and get on God's path. Some of you need to quit blaming others for the junk that's in your life. You need some decisions, need to make some decisions today that will impact your family and your future. So would you bow your heads for just a moment? And I want to just give you an opportunity to say to God, God, I choose you. You chose me by creating me, and now I choose you, God, and I want to follow you.